0: and we're back welcome to app talk with uptick where we dig into the nitty-gritty of how to grow mobile apps and games we speak with industry experts about specific strategies tools and tactics they use to find success and we keep you up to date with emerging news and trends in the ever-changing mobile app ecosystem my name is xander Vagosta, director of marketing here at uptick and joining me today are my co-host
1: warren woodward co-founder
0: of uptick and our esteemed guest,
2: Mike Schmid, uh, BD at Rec Room.
0: Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Uh, very excited to have you here.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Excited to be here.
0: It's been a new long season. time
1: coming. New season kicking off. It's been a long time. We've been busy uh, launching games and stuff here at Uptake, but uh, really excited for the new season of the podcast and couldn't have a better guest than Mike for the first one. I mean, the intro seemed really formal. I was hoping this was going to be a laid
2: back, uh, easy discussion, but you guys are, seem like you're ready to, to go at it.
0: We'll start formal,
1: and it's all—it just goes downhill from there. All business, (laughs) all business here.
2: Awesome.
0: Cool. So one of the things we've been working on in the background uh, that's keeping us busy from not doing podcasting often is an upcoming webinar. This webinar will be January 27th. We're focusing on Web3, the intersection of Web3 and NFT gaming um, with mobile. So we'll put a registration link in the show, night, show notes. I uh, highly recommend people go uh, sign up for that. Uh, we'll be plugging it every day, every podcast between now and January 27th. So uh, just do it now before you get sick of hearing about it. Uh, our first section is Industry Insights, where we want to where we do deep dive on in mobile industry news. Uh, Warren, do you want to do the first article?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I'd love to get Mike's opinion on this one. Uh, the article is from GameIndustry.biz. The headline is Google, Google Play Games, App Coming to Windows in 2022. So uh, during the Game Awards last week, Google shared a small uh, teaser video uh, promising users they're going to be able to play mobile titles uh, Android mobile titles on Windows devices at some point in 2022. Uh, so a little more from the article. Um, the app was built internally at Google rather than through a partnership with Microsoft and it will support Windows 10 and up instead of relying on the recently launched Windows 11. It's unclear how Google will emulate Android games on Windows, but the company has confirmed titles will run locally instead of using cloud streaming. Users will be able to access their Google Play titles via desktop, laptop, and Windows tablets, and they'll be able to resume their game sessions from whenever they left off while playing on mobile. So, uh, this is interesting. There's been some third-party services that have done this for a while, like uh, BlueStacks is the one yeah, that I, I was, was gonna most say, familiar with. Yeah, I tested it first. So, uh, Mike, I'd love to go to you first here. Does this does this matter? <laughs> does anyone care? Are people hungry to play their uh, mobile games on their PCs? Um,
2: experiences told me no, but that's also like certain games just don't make sense. Like, I know Homescapes, Gardenscapes, and game I worked on, Meow yeah, Match. Like, these games are available on the Mac because it was easy to go from, you know, the app, Apple App Store, on um, iOS, to the Mac App Store. Um, but... It doesn't hurt. I mean, I don't see a problem with having more options. I think as games get more core on mobile or more core games come to mobile and cross platforms, a a bigger deal, it makes it easier to port over to PC or uh, which which kind of seems backwards. But um, I think that's the direction we're going now with mobile being kind of the, the focus and everyone going mobile first. So definitely doesn't hurt. I don't know if it matters until somebody really figures out how to do UA in a meaningful way on that platform um towards you know these android apps on windows but um i see it as a, a better shot on goal than most things that the platforms are trying right now so why not
1: Sandra, what do you think about this yeah it's interesting I, I think the
0: cross-platform component is really what makes it interesting and in the ability to sort of pick up your session from what you're doing on mobile i think that is sort of where this may make some sense and really make it you know something that people want to do uh, there is a bit of an issue which is just that like uh, you know, most mobile games aren't particular, they're like designed from, from the mobile phone. And so they tend to not be very good on, you know, if you're, if you're sitting down on a PC, I want a better, right. more robust gaming experience. I think that maybe like the, you're obviously t- targeting uh, different users to different uh, sort of play sessions. So I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> I don't, don't have yeah. a really strong opinion here.
1: Yeah, Mike Mike touched on like core games. Is it more, be a more, um, a more notable use case? And I, I tend to agree with that. And from what I know, BlueStacks too, um, with their history, that tends to line up there um and obviously anything that has a competitive component um or esports component uh, a lot of those players uh, will end up playing on look, looking for a way to play on computer just so they can have you know more finesse in their gameplay
2: yeah which I'm is gonna,
0: go ahead mike
1: i
2: was going to say i'm excited for like the the death of mobile in the name of products so like <clears throat> call of mm, duty yeah. mobile for instance is an awesome game and there's no reason that they couldn't just that directly from, you know, Android to PC or have it play through this service and having it be mobile is a bit awkward um, when you're playing it on PC, name mobile and kind of optimize for mobile. I think it's going to be more about just building these experiences for every platform. And this is just another way to make it easier to get it from one platform to the other. So it's great.
1: Yeah, that's a good point because the lines between platforms are more and more arbitrary at this point, right? Uh, as far as like, you know, what's, what's, uh, What's a tablet? What's like a, you know, where where do we go from tablet to to laptop? And how big does your phone have to get before it's a tablet? Like it's it's all kind of get, turning into one sludge. And yeah, I also look forward to just like having cross platform as the default for most titles. I think
0: that's the vision here. And you know,
1: yeah, yeah. Cool. cool, Xander, you want to go into the next story?
0: Yeah, so some mic bait for this next article. Um, Great. <laughs> uh, this article is from the information called Apple's Empty Threat: Silence Over iPhone Ad Workarounds So Confusion. A uh, few couple quotes. Uh, it's been seven months since Apple's privacy rules went into effect, and most of iPhone users are now have now encountered pop up pop ups asking whether or not they let they want to let an app track them while they use other apps and websites. The prompts have upended digital advertising and how companies measure the effectiveness of mobile ad campaigns. But Snap and other companies hurt by the changes have launched new ad measurement (laughs) techniques that some critics say violate the spirit of Apple's rules. Uh, So far, Apple has not provided many specifics about the rules, so companies are unsure how to interpret them, including what kind of technologies Apple deems permissible. Apple has been silent on the issue and hasn't taken action against Snap, Facebook, or other ad tech companies. So there's quite a bit left in this article, but I'll just sort of cut it there and say, Mike, what's allowed and what's not? (laughs)
1: <laughs> so, and maybe maybe for helpful context for for anyone who doesn't know mike if you want to quickly mention your, your prior role to your current one um yeah so
2: uh i most recently worked as a uh, head of games bd at the app store i don't think it's as interesting as going into the drop forge stuff that you and i did warren but
1: um, <laughs> clearly way more interesting mike mike was my first boss in the industry, maybe. But but yeah, Mike, we, we wanna uh, just get your opinion on behalf of the whole UA industry. Uh, I, I obviously have to pick your words carefully, but any, any opinions on, on uh, what you think Apple will and won't be enforcing as far as um, some of these other methods for tracking that are currently being used?
2: I don't even think, I, I, I honestly won't pick my words that um, carefully. I, I, I think my, <laughs> my opinions here aren't necessarily controversial. Um, <laughs> I think people are really missing the mark on a few things here. First of all, the note that you know Apple's silent on it is you know, maybe Apple's silent to the press, but you know Apple speaks to the developers every single day, and uh, they haven't changed their tune as far as what's allowed and what isn't allowed. Um, the difficult part is obviously you know fingerprinting is really challenging to track or to to, to um, identify from the platform side, and to be able to yep. do that in an app review process would be pretty difficult. Right. Um, so I think like there, there's this sense from developers that are doing fingerprinting or alternative methods or, you know, calling it probabilistic, whatever that they're getting away with it. And they're like, oh yeah, okay. We figured it out. The dust has settled and we're good now and nobody can detect this. And we're still throwing the ATT prompt. And like, that's pretty short sighted. I think, um, if you look at Apple's history with, uh, their stance on privacy and, uh, where they're, and you take a guess at where they're going. I think it's safe to say that uh, the privacy uh, focus isn't slowing down, it's kind of increasing, so there'll be more privacy measures in the coming years. I don't know what shape specifically that would take, but I would imagine if there's a way to, you know, uh, engineer a way to stop fingerprinting that that would be on the table um obfuscating ip address obfuscating device ids or like the identifiers like storage size All like you could see it kind of happening over the last couple of years with the removal of bluetooth and other things that uh you're, that an app's not using from being one of those pieces that they can identify a device with right i would say that um, you should start if, if you're a mobile marketer you should start heavily investing in long-term Strategies that involve uh, aggregated ways to like to uh, attribute, you know, uh, your campaigns to install. So, largely, like what they've said is is stable and not changing. It's just their uh, their systematic approach to it will probably get
1: better and better over time. Um, but right yes. now, policy is what the policy is. So, one thing I'm hearing from you, Mike, in that response is. Um you know the practicalities of going after like kind of fingerprinting as a concept like it's not super practical for for apple or or anyone else to really go after fingerprinting as a concept but the kind of underlying components that allow fingerprinting may gradually fall by the wayside as as uh apple you know limits ability to fingerprint by those those different elements is that uh, a good summary yeah and i wouldn't say that
2: you know they're necessarily gonna not uh, throw somebody into rejection or something like that. If they are, have clear ways to detect that fingerprinting is happening. I just think that that would be really challenging right now to do at scale. Um, and Apple likes to be egalitarian. They like to make sure everybody's treated even or equally. Um, so it would be, you know, like, like other times where they pointed out one thing that a developer's done that's gotten them rejected and everybody else is like, but these guys do it over here. And these people do it over here. It's like, it's a slippery slope and it's a really difficult, Task to, to get everybody on the same page with a policy like that. So I think they want to trust that people are moving in the right direction and doing the right thing without disrupting the industry even more.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think when people say silent, I mean, obviously they don't say much, but it's also or publicly, um, but it's also like the lack of enforcement, right? And I think you could pretty safely assume that anyone on Adjust or app is doing fingerprinting. Like that's core to those technologies. And like, so the most aggressive stance would be like, all right, we're just going to not allow anyone with those two. SDKs to update. Obviously, there's like very, very serious repressions to that. They control like 80 or 90% of the market. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's <laughs> the most yeah, extreme they, case, which I my, think is one, not good for the business ultimately.
1: One of my favorite like quick anecdotes from this era uh, is I, I'm not going to call them out, but one of one of the MMPs uh, had like a field that they would pass back that was pre- previously labeled uh, fingerprinting. And they did, a, a, they did an update of the SDK, the main focus of the update was just to relabel that field as probabilistic. That was, it's just doing the exact same thing, but just literally call it, changing the name of it to probabilistic from fingerprinting.
2: Is there like generally a confusion in the mobile marketing world of what Apple's trying to do with this? Cause that's the interesting part to me. I feel like it's fairly clear what the, um, the reasoning behind it is and what their goal is, but mobile marketers are trying to find like these gray areas and, Maybe that's an interesting thing to tap into, because I I think what the the goal is, is we don't uh, like we sorry. I am no longer at Apple. I work at Rec Room. Uh, (laughs) Apple Apple does not want users to be tracked on an individual basis, right? They don't want you to follow somebody around from one app to another or one place on the web to another without their consent. So it's all about consent. And without that user's consent, fingerprinting doesn't seem like it's in line with that, but um mobile marketers are trying to find again these gray areas and um if you're focusing on the the goal at hand which is again aggregate attribution and you find a way to do that then i think you'll you'll be safeguarding yourself for the future but that's not really the conversation that's happening anymore it seems like
0: well, it's yeah, now, it's, right? That's the main thing If people need a way to operate their business now and they have goals that are tied to now and systems that were built, built on the old system. And so, you know, everyone's goals are based on tr- traditional attribution, all their financial models, everything. So basically every business is having to completely reorient it, reorient themselves. And that's really hard to do. I think that's, that's the main thing. Yeah,
1: yeah I think um, even even mobile marketers are supportive from like a user perspective. I think there's pretty universal support. Um for, for the initiative from like a user experience perspective. But yeah, as Andrew alluded to, the tough part is essentially uh, you know, if, 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 if you're a carpenter and you're building houses every day and then one day you wake up and all of your tools are gone and you're instead given a wet sock and told to keep building the house, it's difficult <laughs> to keep building the house. Um, and that's kind of uh, you know it, the, the lack of, of Apple providing a fully baked workable solution with SK Ad Network is what's led to this really pieced together scrambling of like different ad networks, having different types of attribution, different MMPs, having different rule sets, but.
2: I have a strong, uh, I do not agree with that, uh, association to the (laughs) building. I would say it's closer to like you have, and this is maybe too extreme in the other direction, but you have binoculars at your window and you can see into all your neighbors' houses and they put up. Uh, blinds and privacy trees, and you're like, what the hell, guys? <laughs> I was able to see right into your house before. Why did you have to do that? Like, it's yeah. yeah, it changes the what you're able to functionally do. You would need to go knock on the door and be like, hey, what are you guys up to? Um, <laughs> right, right.
1: I, ostensibly, we should have never been able to do that in the first place.
2: Yeah and Wait. it seems like everybody's saying like we'll punish us if we're doing it wrong then then reject us punish us and and, pr- and prove it it's like why I mean, why do you want that you don't want that yeah. you want to just get in line with the With zero
0: sum. I think that's the reason. So like, for instance, if I'm doing UA, I'm baiting against somebody else. And if I can find something that's that's giving me an incremental advantage to get a cheaper user that's going to drive more revenue for my business, I'm going to do that because that's the core of my job. And so I think that's that's the issue is that everyone in the ecosystem is pitted against each other. And people who are allowed to move the farthest down the gray area are going to have the best returns if they're doing it correctly. And so the incentive is completely messed up, you know.
2: Oh, yeah. And I wouldn't to be clear, I would tell. Anybody that was doing fingerprinting right now, like, don't stop doing what you're doing that's working because you will get your lunch eaten. I completely agree. And, you know, Mike as a BD dude on the outside world would tell that to any developer. What I would also tell them if I liked them would be, you should have a plan B ready to go if and when those things change dramatically. Um, so yeah, you shouldn't do things that are clearly, you know, disadvantaging your business, um, for the sake of a single platform, for instance, but I think you should be ready for those changes and moving in that direction. Clearly.
0: Yeah. That yeah. makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. And, d- and just to be clear, like, uh, you know, we're, we're unpacking this with you. Cause it's a great opportunity to, to talk to you about this. But at the end of the day, like we uptick has really been stoked about this change because it's made you way harder. Um, and it's given us more room to kind of like break away. We're, we're overall doing a lot more business on iOS than we have um, say six months ago uh, because a lot of people have been like, as you kind of alluded to Mike, like when you have perfect data availability, um, UA becomes a lot easier. But when you have to do kind of more modeling um, and projections, and uh, do something that's a little higher touch and and takes more data science to actually get a good result. Um, it let, it increases the barrier of entry, uh, and that's good for like UA focused companies like us that can you know actually build plans that work around that. It's yes, totally
2: totally nuts. Like I I get why it was in, in, an incredible thing, and I think it just kind of went really way too far. Like it would be like it if you were to work at a dealership and you could get a list of people that have paid off their car with their phone number and you know how much their salary is and you're like oh I'm just gonna go you know send them an offer to come buy a new car or trade in their car and give them exact value of their like it's so much information and people disassociate from it because it doesn't feel like that it doesn't feel like real life Um, And again, I'm not a privacy zealot. Like, I was the guy on the inside screaming, like, please don't do this. (laughs) Please (laughs) give us more time. We need more time to figure it out. But um, I think, you know, after spending a lot of time discussing it and and being introspective about it, it is weird that we've had this much data that that was this easy and this accessible for so long. And I think it was just a matter of time before somebody came in and said, "Okay, this is enough.
0: I think another thing that's sort of weird is like, so there are you talk, you talk about cars. I mean, there are lots of data sets that are basically what you just described about the car. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's how you creepy, get car. and it's
2: not. It's not like okay, totally. Right, and, I, I totally, know, I, I totally
0: agree with you. Right. So, but like the fact Apple can't stop that. So, like the issue here is like it's, it's almost a different issue, which is like Apple is trying to basically beat the government. <laughs> right. It's like this should be something that should be like a human right. That should be regulated by some other mechanism. And it's not. And that's sort of the weird thing. It's like, all oh, right, we have to Apple is an oligarch, not the US government, which is kind of bizarre. But that's something else entirely.
2: And this gets into like the fun stuff about the, the metaverse space too, which we can talk about at some point, which is, you know, what what is real uh when it comes to like licensing? <laughs> like
1: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I think we're gonna get into a few things related to that today. Let's let's keep going. Yeah. We have let's some keep- other juicy, juicy stuff we want to get into today with you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, here's another one. Um, Speaking of metaverse, thanks for that nice clean transition. So Roblox is obviously like one of the largest, if not the largest, one of the largest publicly traded gaming companies in the world, Uh, largely targets kids. I've kind of been dismissive of Roblox to my dismay and to missing of a lot of stock appreciation for quite some time. Um, But I found an article this week and an associated video, which I highly, highly, highly recommend everyone watch. It really blew my mind in terms of understanding that platform and some of the sketchy stuff that's going on on that platform. So, um, the the video basically calls out four sort of what they call issues. I think I'm, we'll talk about whether or not we think they're issues. There's definitely parts of these that are major issues. Um, four issues uh, on the Roblox platform. One is what they call unregulated managers. Two, moderation and child safety issues. Three, the Club Tools market. And four, the black market. So I'm going to take them each one at a time. So unregulated managers. The core of Roblox's business is kids developing games for other kids to play. And historically, one kid had been doing that. However, in more recent years, since the platform has got more popular, there's basically become businesses either kids h- hiring kids or adults hiring kids and outsourcing basically outsourcing labor to kids to produce these games, which then uh, they keep the majority of the revenue from, and they basically get to pay the kids whatever they want. This is wild because there's basically no labor mechanism, no safety mechanism for like labor laws or. If, if someone works for someone, they just never pay them. Like there's no mechanism in, in place to, to regulate this. So basically it's quite literally like child labor and there's no and there's no regulation from Roblox because obviously they don't control the entire ecosystem. It's really, really hard to, for them to do anything. So that's like, that's the first one. I guess maybe we'll stop on each one of these and just say, Any, anyone have thoughts here? Cause there's kind of, otherwise we'll be rambling for a while.
2: Can I tell you a story? Please. Okay, so um, back in high school, uh, me and a couple of buddies, uh, I was probably like 14 or 15, would run shows, local shows with bands, charge eight bucks to get in, and like, you know, we did a couple, and they were really successful, make like a few thousand dollars each time, Um, and there was uh, three of us, we were partners in it. And then I decided that we weren't just an entertainment company, but we were also a record label. So I spent this money to produce my band's uh, record um, without their consent, and just blew a couple thousand dollars on a really terrible album Um, that probably exists somewhere. But all all I'm saying is like, this is not necessarily a brand new problem. This is just an adaptation of, you know, things that have existed in the past. And it's a problem that requires attention and, there's probably some interesting ways to try to resolve it um and one of them and i'll just dive right in is like you look at how mature the app store is or the google play store is and like figuring out who a developer is and uh requiring all these you know like a duns number and stuff like that if you're a business and and making sure that they've you know dot all the i's uh, across the t's i think that the metaverse space is going to start maturing in that direction. Um, I can talk about Rec Room and, you know, we're being really thoughtful about payouts and thoughtful about how uh, creators are compensated and stuff like that. And Roblox has a tremendous platform. My son plays it nonstop. Um, He plays more Rec Room now, but he does still play (laughs) a lot of Roblox. Um, So I think that uh, it's going to get solved over time and there's going to be some growing pains. And I think Roblox is probably the first to to hit a lot of these pain points because of their size. I'm um, it's not to let them off the hook. I think that they have to do some work here, but um it's a really interesting and challenging problem to solve.
0: Right. Cause I mean like you probably say that the situation with you and your buddies in high school probably wasn't great either. But what's the recourse there? <laughs> right? Yeah I mean they weren't
2: going to sue me. They were they were pretty ticked off about it. We're all still friends. Um that's good. One of them did leave a group chat today. He's ticked off at me again he gets mad at me a lot. Um seems to be a theme.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: well, it, well yeah, what are one. the other issues, Andrew? I would yeah. like to hear a little bit of it.
0: Right. So I'm I'm gonna sort of go over this one quickly. It's a big issue, but not one that we I have a lot of opinions on. So basically, um moderation and child safety, huge issue. There's a ton of issues. This may be like the prominent issue with the platform. I think the, the point of the video called out was basically they shut down they were unable to moderate their platforms, and so they shut down sorry, their forum, and so they shut it down. And that's wild because it basically pushed all the communication to Discord, and now it's just completely the Wild West. Right. And so then you have people sexting children. And all sorts of fucked up stuff that's happening. And I'm just gonna kind of blaze over this one, but obviously it's a pretty major issue. I don't I have no idea how you solve that. That's like a much more fundamental issue. I'm um, gonna we'll talk about some that are like more in the vein of the things that we touch on the, on this on this podcast much more uh, much more often. So when they have a collectibles market, I had no idea about this. So basically, they have a, a market for buying and selling items, um, much like you see in WoW, like a WoW auction house or an NFT marketplace, right? So it's basically just the exact same thing as NFT, and there's ways of cashing it out. So it's basically just like traditional the way we think traditionally about the metaverse um they have tools for charting the value of items much like a stock market these items can go for thousands of dollars and roblox is taking a 30 percent cut on each one of these transactions so this is all great like these are great game mechanics this would work really well in any game the issue here is that you're giving kids access to spend thousands of dollars at a button click which is wild that's crazy like should you
2: should you should you be allowed to do that like i don't know thoughts probably not i don't know I mean, as a parent, no, but like, <laughs> Well, that's what I mean, though. It's <laughs> like, like,
0: who's who's responsible for this? Do we just again, let kids blow thousands
2: of dollars? Like, that seems insane. No, I mean, you, you, if you don't want your kid to blow thousands of dollars, you don't give them thousands of dollars of credit. What if they earn it themselves
0: was, on the Roblox platform?
2: I mean, that's an interesting challenge, but at right? the same time, like, so again, I'll have a real life example here. My son had a, an interesting, I don't even remember what the item was in Roblox, and somebody offered to trade him. It was something that he'd like saved up for, and uh, and bought and he made a bad trade. The dude like left the server right after the trade happened uh, and never gave him his items and like he was heartbroken. Right. And um, I mean, uh, that happened to me in real life again, right. back when I was younger. So again, these are just lessons being learned in the metaverse, which in some ways is maybe like less damaging <laughs> than learning these lessons in real life, you know, in the schoolyard or something. But.
0: I'm not sure it feels different to a kid. You know, know, I'm not no, sure there's no, a it, distinction.
2: It, it feels the same. I just think that uh you know there's no physical violence like there was in my sure. case. So it's like you know less bodily harm can occur for sure in the metaverse. But um uh it it does still feel bad. Like he was truly hurt by it and it was like a life lesson, but I think a lot of that comes down to parental responsibility and kind of monitoring what your kids are doing online and um certainly the developer is responsible for a lot and putting things in place like safeguarding kids copa compliance and making sure that there's junior accounts and stuff like that so people can't interact if they're under a certain age so i certainly think that i'm not trying to take all the responsibility off the developer but parental responsibility has a lot to do with this too it's like if you are giving your kid your phone and they make a dozen purchases like the platforms are typically pretty um responsive to that and they'll 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 give you you know a one time like sorry this happened and refund you um depending on you know what it is and the details but um i I think that if you're doing that habitually then there's clearly some issues with with you yeah (laughs) yeah
1: yeah, it's it's really interesting. I I'm still trying to unpack how I feel about this, and I, I'm Same. about halfway through that video. I think, yeah, I definitely recommend everyone everyone check it out. And it's also the second in a in a really in depth series of this this person who's been doing the in- investigating. I mean, on on one hand, Xander, I'm just thinking aloud, like it's really uh, unless a kid has access to his parents' credit cards in one way or another, it's really a kid trading his time for something in in the ecosystem, right? Because they're, they're doing work um, and they're getting Robux through that. And then they can choose to, correct me if I'm wrong, but they can basically either choose to spend them in the marketplace or cash them out.
0: Right, and the cash out um, rate is atrocious. Like it's really well, yeah, right.
1: I mean, look at World of Warcraft. Like my
2: one of my best friends from, from growing up played like a disgusting amount of World of Warcraft. I did too. And- one day he sold Same. his, he sold his account for like $3,000. He's like, oh dude, I made $3,000 on this account. I was like, yeah, how many hours you put into that? Or was that like right, three, right. three pennies an hour?
0: <laughs> like, I'm sure something like that. Yeah. But
2: it doesn't so, work so, like that. It's they're enjoying it too. It's not like it's a job.
0: So. Right. Well, but someone's right. making a ton of money and that's the wild part. Right. It's cause like, if you get, if you're contracting these kids, someone's actually making real money off of them at the, you know, at the top end of these ecosystems. And so I think is, is there, is that questionable? That's the question.
1: I mean, it's definitely Wild West, but I think of the the various charges, this is the one where I would maybe have a, um, a unpopular stance of, I think there's a lot of value in, um, kids child being labor. able to <laughs> yes in child labor <laughs> definitely very pro child labor here at Upstate. take that quote out of context um <laughs> no and uh i just think about like how i learned about business and it was basically like really? trading and selling baseball cards and yeah. you you get scammed you you make some money and you know I was, I was like 11 12 when i'm doing this stuff and this to me is just like a digital version of the same same kind of concept obviously yeah. more i won't talk that. about
0: how i first learned about how the value of commodities and transporting them but i'll say that it was, this is a much safer <laughs> way to do it <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> okay, so uh, on that note, um, the last piece is the black market. What um, this, this article pulls out, and basically what they say is, there's these uh, third-party vendors who will basically facilitate the same types of sell- sales and transactions that Roblox does, but on the third on the, on websites. Yeah, and I guess the, the issue here is that that's at least the way the website frames it is like. Uh, this has basically become core to the ecosystem, and basically all the major developers use these translation layers um, to get better returns for their robots. But the reason they don't do it, crack down on them, is because it's like very, very core to the ecosystem. And I think the quest, the issue here is that again, it's because it's kids. Like they basically have to find ways of interfacing with these very sketchy characters on these sketchy websites, and that is at least perceived in the issue, the eyes of this. Uh, person as an issue i mean this existed in while, quite literally i mean i'm sure these are like the same companies that did this for a while so was that an issue there you know again it's like the guy who made this video frames it this is terrible it's the worst in the world If if, if
2: you haven't read um i think it was wired magazine did this incredible breakdown of like the first world of warcraft uh gold farm and all of there's like some crazy real life drama that happened too. Uh, so it's really long article, but worth looking up and reading, but yeah, not a new problem again, just happening, I guess, with kids in this scenario. But I think what's happening with kids too in World of Warcraft, um, too, yeah. I could pretend to say like, oh yeah, well, NFT, 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 blockchain, blockchain, and then, you know, Web3, <laughs> and then I think that solves everything. Um, yeah, it definitely that that's... <laughs> we're pretending (laughs) right now yeah i know that's exactly right that's everybody's like well yeah blockchain will solve this it's like i don't think that's how blockchain works well
0: i think so here's the thing it's like i actually think that when i look at roblox now i have much more respect for the platform i think the issue like the this would be an issue except for the miners and that's where it's like okay i don't know how to
1: feel about a lot of this stuff yeah i mean you can't like not if you if you disallow miners from participating in that economy that's essentially killing Roblox as as a platform. Right, it's designed for them. So yes. I think you can have uh, and and you know it'd be an interesting
2: experiment to see what uh, how how those economies could diverge, and you have like an adult economy in it, and like a junior economy or something like that. Again, super complicated, yep. and be very challenging to police. You know, people taking advantage of one side or another, or something like that. So this is an incredibly complex issue, and I'm not going to pretend like I know how to solve it. I mean. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm watching and waiting and seeing what happens. And uh, maybe uh, maybe they'll figure it out sooner rather than later and everybody can learn from it. Or I don't know, maybe it, it just changes form like it has for us over the years. Makes sense. Yeah.
1: All right, well, cool. we got one more article here before we go to our main segment. Uh, this article is from uh, Insider. Uh, the headline is, this Apple manager loved his oh, job gonna... <laughs> anyway and took a 50% pay cut, partly due to the company's stringent return no. to the office policies. Oh, uh, this is uh, a big no,
2: is... switch. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. First of all, uh, yeah, I didn't know just... we weren't in the main segment. And second of all, <laughs> I have learned my lesson to never
1: speak to reporters. Um, so, I'm a... so this article, yeah, this article is about Mike and uh, uh, yeah, no, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a fun quick read, but it's basically, I, I don't know, Mike, do you want to give a quick summary of, of uh, uh, your we can and we can bridge this to our main segment. You know, but just talk about your choice, maybe to to exit Apple and um, join Rec Room. Uh, yeah. And also, if you if you like getting half the pay, you know, uh, I could maybe <laughs> offer you half of what you're getting right now to join uptake. I'm going to keep really... going
2: half and half. So just one <laughs> point of clarity, my quote, I believe, was I would have taken a 50% pay cut to join someplace as awesome as Rec Room because the question was, how do you leave corporate salaries behind for, you know, startup world or something like that? So. Taken out of context, um, it's fine. I mean, I don't do this for the money. I do it because I love it, right, Warren? Right? Um, you're nodding, right? Um, but yeah, I. I mean. It, it, it's no uh, no surprise that many people are leaving their job because of you know opportunities with remote work or work in the places that they want to be. There's an incredibly competitive tech market right now, probably more than I've seen in my career thus far, um, which is weird because we're all still in this pandemic, so. You would expect this to have happened kind of coming back having like a little bit of a tech renaissance but it's happening right now and people like netflix are scooping up incredible talent um other studios around the globe are, are looking for amazing talent uh, aggressively so um in my case it was pretty clear like i just you know wanted to be in seattle and that's where my family was it's home base for me and Uh, Apple's requirements to have leadership in Cupertino were pretty clear. And again, no hard feelings there. We we had a really interesting and healthy discussion about it. And um, it just made sense to transition at this point in time. So nothing like super controversial or weird about it. Like it got kind of picked up and everybody's like, see, like, this is why we have to allow remote work. And I'm like, no, I mean, Apple can do what they want. They're a they're pretty successful. They they they've made some good choices in the past. Certainly, they're not infallible. Just to be clear, um, for those who might think that I'm really quote far up Apple's butt unquote, like I for sure am, absolutely. But also, like I I'm willing to call out where I think they make mistakes, and I think it's unfortunate that they will lose some incredible talent from this, but. If that's what works best for their business then that's a choice that they've made and uh for whatever reasons they make it for and there's other amazing places that these people can go so it's not like there's any shortage of opportunities right now um and if remote work is more important to you than x y or z that's you know available at your current job then i think it's pretty easy to to do that math
0: are you saying that cool. people are just saying uh things want to sell clicks on insider.com <laughs> <laughs>
1: just trying to drum up some drama in order to sell newspapers, or whatever. You call yeah, it the is way more clickbaity than the the juice of the actual article. Dude, there
2: is no juice. Like that, that was the best no, part. There's, I was no, like, there's no real juice.
1: I, like, would yeah, job I would love to know this job sounded more fun. know my <laughs> click-through
2: rate, we'll start running ads with my face if the clickthrough rate's good. Um... <laughs> cool. Well, well, you know,
0: the early part of this conversation of our main segment was supposed to be around Apple, but I feel like maybe we've just like milked that. Unless, I guess, the one question here is like, are there any? Is there anything other? there are any other common misconceptions about privacy that we haven't touched on? And I guess the other half of this is like, I guess it's more interesting question. Forget about that. I think we've touched on that piece. Um, the thing, the interesting thing here is like App- Apple often touts user privacy and focuses focus on the consumer to justify to justify their behavior. What are the downsides of consolidating so much power in the ecosystem to the hands of one company? That's, that's I guess, an interesting way to frame this. Are there downsides? I imagine there probably are.
2: I mean, it's a really interesting question. I feel like If Apple was more than 50% of the market, as far as like user base, then it would probably be a more challenging discussion for anyone over there to have. Um, But because, you know, Android is so prevalent, there are options out there, it's, it's not like anyone's being forced to use an iPhone. And I think right. that's been an interesting talking point that's come out of Apple over the last couple of months is, you know, if you, if this is something that you're not interested in, there are other options. Like if you don't want the quote, safe and trusted experience of the app store, unquote, and things like that, then go, you know, be an Android um, or I don't I don't know what other options there are. Are there other options still? Huawei. Um, yeah. Amazon. <laughs> there are definitely safe and trusted phones. trusted Huawei. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I don't, again, not, not, not too controversial or too many interesting things going on in my head around that, but happy to discuss it.
1: No, let's, I mean, we've, we've dug into it. We've, 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 we've jabbed at you enough for like Apple related stuff. and um, It's been fun, but let's, let's turn the conversation to your, to your new role. Let's really dig into it. So, um, I mean, tell us a little bit more about, about Rec Room and your role there and, and what got you excited about the company.
2: Yeah, that's uh, a, a few things I want to touch on there. One mm-hmm. being like, you know, being on the platform side and and being on the app store and seeing all of these interesting things happening from that point of view, I got to think about what my next kind of role would be or what kind of company I wanted to work at. Not that I had like the opportunity to go anywhere. I'm sure like there's plenty of companies that uh, wouldn't like me and wouldn't take me. But um, the things that I saw that were super interesting about Rec Room um, are, are still kind of our I didn't realize were kind of core structural, foundational, like pillars of the company internally were things I observed from the outside. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And then I came inside and I was like, oh, this is totally like a thoughtful choice of theirs to be kind of radically cross platform for one and be everywhere. Like when I first heard a rec room and our, you know, our mutual friends that ended up here, um, I thought of it as like a VR company and it very much was a VR company at the time. And they were doing some interesting things. It was kind of like Wii Sports and VR. And then a couple of years ago, you know, they came to me and they're like, "Hey, we want to go on mobile. And help us launch on the app store." And I was like, "That's really interesting." You know what? what opportunity is there for that kind of experience on mobile and uh, turns out a really big one because mobile is the fastest growing platform for us by uh, a pretty large margin. So that was one. The other thing was how they're doing social and seeing um, what that experience felt like for the first time and jumping in and it being really alive and actually like immediately talking to people. That was kind of the thing where I was like, oh, you can hear me? Like, that's really interesting. You're having conversations in the rec center and. really low barrier to entry to to be social on it and to experience what that's like in real time um, versus other platforms it's kind of like you see somebody bouncing around and then a chat bubble comes above their head like i think voice is really powerful and then the ugc side the the thing that impressed me was it being in the app itself so it wasn't like you have to go to a separate place and build something it's like you could build stuff with your friends in rec room in real time which was unique uh, in my opinion so Again, those pillars that I like those things I saw from the outside that I thought were special are the pillars internally of like what we believe makes Rec Room special. So um, I I definitely see something really incredible happening here. Our growth has been tremendous. Um, I don't think anyone comes close to us as far as like the experience of Rec Room right now. I haven't experienced anything that that scratches the same itch in the same way. And obviously I'm biased. I work at Rec Room for anyone listening and is gonna call me biased.
1: Like, yes, I'm very biased. I think we're amazing, but. Um, well, I mean, that's that, why you joined, right? You joined because you were excited about, about what they were doing. Yeah, and what? honestly, like
2: I, I knew a little bit about the folks inside and, you know, I'd met Nick and a few others that I'd worked with previously. And um, I am still shocked every day at how nice everybody is. That's That's been really bugging me out. Like somebody yesterday asked me, come on, there's got to be assholes at Rec Room. Like, You you had to have experienced it. I'm like, I think it's me. <laughs> <laughs> like like you look to your left and look to your I right. Like, you I, know, there. I was like, I don't see what
1: there's always like, every studio
2: has to have an asshole. I'm like, oh, I guess that's me.
1: Um, no, no, it's, it, it's interesting. Like, like Rec Room, I, I've i always been, for since it popped on my radar, I've been really impressed with the company. And I, I was stoked to hear that you'd taken the, the role, Mike. But to me, like Rec Room is, um, I don't know, it's almost like it's the convergence of, several emerging technologies, finally all getting good enough simultaneously yeah. to combine into mm-hmm. a compelling experience. It's like UGC marketplaces, finally getting uh, refined and compelling enough. Uh, VR getting more refined uh, concepts of, of, of metaverse. I know like, you know, uh, we're, you're not a, a blockchain company, but to me, there's still a lot of things about Rec Room that are uh, more, more of what I picture a metaverse to be than like some, some things that call themselves metaverse. So all these converging technologies um and being cross platform also so yeah i think it's a very unique and well situated company for kind of the next era of of gaming
2: yeah and we're getting a lot of those like what about blockchain what about nft kind of you know conversations and vendors yeah. and folks want to, and we're we're listening and we're we're you know watching and I personally am not very uh, bullish on any of it in regards to, you know, what we're doing here, generally, because I have not yet seen the practical application of this technology uh, for the user that that makes sense. And, you know, especially like in an app like ours, I can't really see the the opportunity right now, but maybe in 10 years when, you know, the portability of content across experiences is more. Important, um, then I could. But the thing is, like, you really don't need a blockchain to do that. You could have like uh, another entity basically doing that conversion for you, some like managing. The thing that really falls apart for me when it comes to the blockchain, um, and this really kind of crystallized in my mind, being at uh, the App Store and seeing what refund data looked like and, and how refunds were managed and the tremendous scale there. There are certain problems that have not been solved yet. One of them being like how you mitigate fraud or accidental purchasing and things like that. And an end user doesn't want to have to think about that. They want to feel safe. And again, I think this is where the apps are in the place. Like they do a good job of making people feel safe enough to pull out their wallet and make a mm-hmm. purchase because they feel like if something goes wrong, they know who they can contact and, and get that money back or figure it out. And the blockchain doesn't have that, and there's some benefits to that, uh, or I, I want to say that the versions of the blockchain or the, the players in the space that are doing the things that they're doing right now haven't really figured it out in a way that is uh, safe and trusted enough for to have mass user adoption. So watching and waiting and interested, but I think that that's just one example
1: of some of the problems that I think aren't solved yet
2: more in your rebellion.
1: yeah I mean uh, this could this could be a whole separate podcast in of itself so I, I both agree and disagree with you Mike like I I am a huge bull on um, basically gaming be being the first compelling reason for mass adoption of blockchain technology this is going to be a lot of what we're talking about in the, this webinar that we're doing in January we're bringing like the the co-founder of the sandbox and some other um, notable metaverse and blockchain gaming companies in um, but to your point Mike it's like uh, it's not the solution for every problem. And I think that there is a huge benefit, actually, to having a closed environment. If your product is for a younger audience, it's like you—it's the same reason you know, like uh, yeah. that you have a fence around a children's playground, um, that you have a kiddie pool that's more that's more shallow. You don't want to like like blockchain is definitely wild, wild west, um, and uh, just because you can. Uh, have you know fully decentralized or blockchain based version of, of Rec Room doesn't mean that that's optimal for the audience that you have built the product for. And I think it's um, there's a strong case that like Rec Room is a better product in a closed environment. That's not just children
2: that want that though. Like adults want to feel safe as well. Like they want to have the fence around things. Some not all adults. Like some people want to go and be the early adopters and mess with stuff and tinker and all that. But I mean, there's a a multi-trillion-dollar company that's built themselves off of the idea that this is a safe space where you don't have to worry about viruses and you don't have to do too much tinkering and all that. So there's clearly a market for that, like centralized, uh, like safe gaming environment. But that's not to say that there's not an opportunity for NFTs and blockchain and all that stuff. I just I don't see it right now for us specifically. That's not to say we won't do something in the future where it makes sense. But sure. Um, I would lo- I will go to this webinar it sounds very interesting and I would love to hear what is being said about it, um, but could you give me like an understanding and again i'll claim ignorance, like an understanding of what a practical practical application uh, for this would be today that would make it a better experience.
0: Yeah, I've, I have one that I've thought about, which I've, I mean, so, but you could argue there's a counter argument to this, which is like, okay, you don't need to do that on the blockchain. And I think that that's been my main hesitation with blockchain is like everything you can always say, oh, but it doesn't need to be on blockchain. But there, you know, so, that, so one of the really good examples is that let's say I make a game right now, a mobile game, and I want it, I want to, you know, have people get really engaged. I can go, I can make a mobile game, have them play, I can give them an NFT. Then when I release my PC game, it's a different game, three three years later, they can pull the NFT in from there. Okay, so that's, that's one use case. Okay, here's another interesting example. I mean, but you don't need a blockchain for that. What you probably would need a blockchain for is if somebody else wants to build a game and be able to pull that NFT into your game, that is actually a pretty interesting use case, right? Where like, I, I give you an asset in my game, Oh, let's, I care about your game. I'm going to build something over here that's separate, but I'm going to give you credit for having that thing over there. That's, I think, the one that's really interesting is like saying, "Hey, we're going to be these collaborations, which wouldn't be possible otherwise, um, but it is because it's there is it's off a centralized authority." So, I mean, that's one. Totally, kind of it's just
2: fraud mitigation would be a nightmare in that scenario, like sure. duplicating items. I mean, we already already. Well, let's have- think about
0: blockchain. It's pretty hard to duplicate an item, right? That's. <laughs>
1: Well, but I mean, it's, it's hard to actually duplicate, duplicate it. Yeah, like, yeah, it's it's easy to do it. something that yeah. that that can trick someone into thinking that it's right. exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it can mimic that.
2: So uh, and again, like I know that's kind of a, a cliche at this point uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to NFTs and talking about where it falls apart and all that. But uh, yeah, like I don't see why that has to be done that way. Like if you are blizzard and you want to move items across your portfolio, you can do that with, you know, with your own backend. You don't need to use the blockchain for that. And I don't well, think it benefits point. them. To... If you're
0: blizzard, right. Yeah, if, I'm yeah, a small ga- if... if I'm a small game developer building, that is actually prohibitive.
2: I mean, is it that like you could, if you're building a PC game after you've built a mobile game and you want to import user accounts and have a unified user account system, there are services out there that you can pull off the shelf that allow you to do that and you can manage inventory and stuff. Like I don't see that being more difficult than than Too literally like content. yeah, doing it through the blockchain. Like I don't think that that simplifies your workflow. You're like now in order to get this item this user is going to have to fund from different wallets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I don't I don't see it making life easier right now. Maybe that changes in the future, but right now it's not there for me personally.
0: More and other ideas.
1: So many, um, yeah. I, I literally <laughs> just, I, I literally just put together like an hour long presentation on, on the compelling cool. use cases. We're scribbling things gaming, in but... a notebook, like we're having a debate. like writing <laughs> we, down points.
0: I mean, what we'll, we'll here whole high level yeah. bullet points? What are well,
1: you about? Yeah, I, for, I, for me, the most the most compelling kind of like uh, meta reason for this, no, no pun intended, is the ability for um, gamers to recapture the value of their playtime invested. Um, so this means like, like historically, uh, unless you did something super black market, like all of your time gaming is zero, zero ROAS, like, uh, zero ROI. Sorry. I used to think about ROAS all the time. I was like gonna the- say. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, so the, the fact, um, that you can, and, and some of the gaming experiences I'm having right now, um, it's, 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 it's actually the first thing in years. that has got me re-excited about gaming. The yeah. fact that I can have, um, like there's a uh, there's a, a game called uh, Crypto Raiders that I use as a, a use case in this because I think it's a simple boiled down concept. You know, you 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 own this your this your character that you own this character as an NFT. You raid dungeons with it. The character levels up over time, gets better gear. It increases the the value of this character in the economy. You can trade it in a trustless manner to other to other people. Um, and they've decentralized all of the core elements of like a basic RPG. Uh, you can own and trade the, car- the enemies of the dungeon. And if, you're, if your monster kills somebody else, then you get part of their loot. Uh, they've decentralized the, the, the music in the game too where it's crowdsourced, the community wrote the music. Uh, there's a smart contract that uh, the music itself is an NFT. There's a smart contract that distributes royalties from every time the song plays to the owner of the NFT and the creator of the NFT. There's just a lot of cool tech here. And um, you know, I'm rambling on a bit, but the main thing is like there's an opportunity for gamers to recapture the value of their playtime and their expertise in the game, whereas free to play is just a bottomless pit for all this. And, and Mike, you were talking about privacy earlier and how we've normalized some things that maybe shouldn't be normalized. And I think uh, once we have options to, for mass market to uh, recapture part of their playtime uh, and, and monetize that in some way, I think people are going to say, how did we ever have this model before? where it was a bottomless pit for all that we invested in these games.
2: I disagree. I mean, you're looking for return on time spent or ROTS, as we can call it. Um, yeah. And I, you don't need that for Netflix. Why do you need that for games? Like, you're not If you're playing a game to get a return, then there's- But if you th- could get it, would you want
0: it? I think that's the question. <laughs> I don't know. If and I could it, get
2: a return watching Netflix, maybe, but maybe- that's even may better. Incentivize the wrong behavior for so, me personally. So
0: Warren, here's the thing though. I think you can fairly argue you could do all that without the blockchain. Um, yeah. And like maybe it's not as good. I mean, maybe there are some advantages, but like you could build a system that would do all that—that's you know essentially controlled. And I think that that is a fairly easy counter argument. Maybe whether or not it's just a fair counter argument, I think that I mean you could you could that's do all those it, things about the blockchain.
2: That's what Wow did. You could do time played and see how much time you put into it. And the more time you put into it, the more things you get, the more, you get, the more, experience, you get, the more
1: experience you get, the more items you get. You can't get. sell I mean, them. You'd have, have sure, to. Have yeah, you have to go to the, block, you go, the black market if you yeah. want to actually monetize that.
0: But like I don't think that's not. I mean, they try to do that with Diablo Three. Like it's not crazy. Yeah. They've, they've danced around this. <laughs>
1: Cool, well, we have like four minutes left and there's so much we wanna dig into with Mike. How do, how do Mike we wanna maximize these four minutes? We should talk about the four minutes for the next <laughs> I think we just <laughs> sign off, honestly. I don't,
0: know, I don't know what else we're gonna talk. I think we just have to have Mike yeah. back. And we're gonna uh, start doing like callback episodes because there's too many good people we well, wait, Let's
1: last. do Let's do, you want the app of the week super fast? Yeah, I think so. Okay, uh, Warren, do you wanna cool. go first? It's same,
0: yeah, same I'll, vein. Yeah, I'll pick it
1: off. Cause mine's, yeah, it's, it's in this realm. So I started playing an app yesterday. It's called Thetan Arena. Um, It is a blockchain-based MOBA uh, that's cross-platform. So it's checking a lot of boxes of things that we talked about today. Um, And I think it's really worth checking out. So um, the closest comp I'd say to it is is Brawl Stars. It's a pretty well-executed game. A lot of these blockchain games have just been kind of shitty versions of established games. And this one actually is pretty high quality. Uh, So the interesting thing about Thetan Arena is there's a free-to-play on-ramp. So you can just play it as a complete free to play game, never have any blockchain interaction, or you can layer on the other part of the economy and actually attach your MetaMask wallet or whatever and play as NFT ownable characters that you can trade uh, the same way that we're talking about before. So it's interesting because there's like parallel economies. You can opt in or not opt into the blockchain aspect of this. And it's actually a high quality game. And they figured out a way to like be allowed on, at least for now on the app and play stores without violating any policies. So I think it's pretty, pretty interesting.
0: Check it out for research or something else. All right, we're going to keep moving uh, just because we're almost out of time. My app this week is iRobot. iRobot is the app that is associated with the Roomba. Uh, Roombas are really nice (laughs) my floor was dirty during COVID. Um, And so I can now just use iRobot to set um, my schedule and click a button and my robot will go and clean my house. So my question is, how long until I can take the Roomba, give it to someone else and earn cryptocurrency on the blockchain. No, no one?
1: Okay. (laughs) Mike, (laughs) you got an app? (laughs) First of
2: all, I'll plug Rec Room because Rec Room is an amazing experience on mobile um, and you can get it on your Play Store or App Store. Um, But outside of Rec Room, uh, apollo is like my app of the week every week it's a reddit browser christian selig is this awesome developer that that crafted this experience that makes reddit better on iphone than it is on web or any other experience wow. um, so i highly highly recommend it and there's awesome pro features and stuff too if you want to upgrade um yeah awesome. that's all i got
0: apollo check it out great um before we sign off mike is there anything you want to plug us you just plug the rec room is there anything else where can people find you to talk to you uh, so no please don't find me
2: <laughs> please don't
1: find Perfect. Me. <laughs> Great. we'll
0: put it we'll put his his uh, links in the description of the episode uh warren do you want to take us out
1: yeah thank you so much for joining us mike and uh for what it's worth you know i actually took like a, a large pay cut to come work for mike my first job in the mobile games industry tying it back up to the top and have never regretted it so um thank you so much for joining us today mike and uh yeah rec room's an amazing company and we're excited to see what you do there Thanks guys, Um, appreciate it. Yeah, as always, this week's episode was brought to you by the folks at Uptick. Here at Uptick, we do mobile app growth marketing stuff. We focus a lot on games. We have our growth services team. We basically are like a bolt-on growth marketing team. We do your ASO, UA, creative development, et cetera, et cetera. And then we also have some cool uh, SaaS software for ASO um, that people license to automate their ASO testing maximize the conversion of their store pages. If you want to check it out and learn more, go to uptick.com. That's U-P-P-T-I-C.com. Talk soon.